welcome to the Smoking PTSD Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Diver. I am a survivor of suicide, a survivor of childhood emotional and physical abuse, as well as a veteran of the U.S. Navy and a retired first responder. I started this podcast to help me on my journey to wellness by sharing my story, my thoughts, and my experiences in a hope that my story will reach and help others and let them know that it's okay to not be okay. With that being said, I'm not a licensed mental or behavioral health professional. I'm just a guy who's been through some stuff and has experienced a trauma survival. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, medical treatment, or therapy. Always seek the advice of your qualified mental health provider with any questions you may have regarding any mental health symptoms, and never disregard professional help or delay in seeking professional advice or treatment because of something you have heard on this podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review this episode as your comments can only serve to improve the content. Hello, everyone. I hope this finds you well and enjoying the new year. While I'm not one for resolutions myself, I have told myself that I need to be a little more proactive with producing content for this podcast. Uh, I guess the issue that I have isn't necessarily a lack of want, because I certainly want to do it. It's that I lack relevant ideas that I can work into a podcast. Uh, It's not as easy as I had first thought it was going to be. And there really aren't an unlimited supply of topics for this, which I could be wrong in that. Um, From what I have, my experience has been that I need to experience something or have felt it personally for me to work it into the podcast, whereas other people may find they've experienced other things and they may disagree that I have a limited amount of talking points, but I'm going to try and do a little bit better in the new year, uh, try and make some more relevant content as frequently as I can. So I, I do try to base this pod off of feelings that I have regarding my behavioral health and the issues that accompany those feelings it's just like I said, it's not it's not necessarily the lack of want, it's the lack of content. So I, I need to do better with my research and maybe expand my research a little bit more because I usually rely on Brene Brown's books to guide me through this. And I have found that the past couple of episodes, including this one, she has not mentioned either of the topics in her book. So I, maybe I need to just expand my horizons a little bit more there. So as I was doing some research for episode 34, I came across the term emotional dysregulation, and I had not heard that term before. So I decided to do some research on that and see how that relates to me. And as I read about it, I found that I have been in an almost constant state of emotional dysregulation for years So that kind of struck me as odd and a surprise that I had not heard the term before. Emotional dysregulation refers to difficulty regulating emotions. It can manifest in several ways, such as feeling overwhelmed by seemingly minor things, struggling to control impulsive behaviors, or having unpredictable outbursts, all of which I have had. So this definition of This dysregulation, this emotional dysregulation, if you will, 
comes from an article on medicalnewstoday.com, and I have certainly been in a rather dysregulated state with my emotions uh, for quite some time. And I think about all the angry outbursts I had at work over rather mundane events, road rage that I've, I've talked about here before, and issues regulating my thoughts and overstimulation of relationships. These have all been examples of, for me, examples of me and in my uh, state of emotional dysregulation. So emotional dysregulation is a condition that affects how a person may experience and handle their emotions. It is very common in children and adolescents and can persist into adulthood. When someone is experiencing emotional dysregulation, they may have difficulty regulating their emotions and have angry outbursts, anxiety, depression, or display self-damaging behaviors. So people with dysregulation may not have an appropriate emotive response to the situation they are in. Eventually, the condition can impact a person's quality of life, social interaction, personal life, work life, and relationships. Emotional dysregulation can also be a feature of other conditions such as disruptive disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, borderline personality disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and others. Doctors may also refer to it as dysregulation, marked fluctuation of moods, mood swings, or labile mood. I don't know, I like uh, emotional dysregulation over labile mood. There are many different types of emotional dysregulation, and each person's experience is unique. Typically, emotional dysregulation means an individual has excessively intense emotions in response to a trigger. Therefore, an individual may feel their emotions are out of control. They may also have difficulties recognizing their emotions and feel confused, guilty, or stressed about their behavior. And we can probably all look back on a time when we had perhaps overreacted to a situation. uh, And what we see is our emotional state is heightened and it's not regulated so it's dysregulated and it's the intense response to however mundane of of a trigger that that's what that means when you're when you're overstimulated and your response is worse than what would normally happen if you weren't as as triggered so this article goes on to say what uh, some common symptoms include experiencing strong emotional reactions to events that would not normally affect other people, mood swings, feeling overwhelmed by our emotions, or having intense emotions that are difficult to control. And as I had said uh, last week after uh, that issue with the person at work, I had that had really adversely affected me and my emotions uh, became very intense and difficult to control to the point where it was affecting my sleep and affecting my response to things throughout the day. You may also have an inability to cope with stress, depression, anxiety, self-harm, or excessive substance use. And I am pretty sure I have, and perhaps some listeners have experienced some or all of that list uh, at a time or two. I know that I certainly have. And if you're a uh, if you're a listener to this, my my guess would be you you are understanding what I'm talking about there. 
So I found another really interesting article was on the uh, the Cleveland Clinic website. And one of the things that I find beneficial to doing this podcast for me personally is I'm always taken down another rabbit hole when I do research for a topic. You know, the, the verywellmind.com and psychologytoday.com, they have good, both of those websites are very good and, and full of informative substances, but just being, you know, I don't just stick on the first Google page. You know, that's one thing that I find that helps me to broaden my horizons here is to go to the second, third or more Google page and of the, the search area and see what other articles are out there. And further down on the page was this, um, these articles on the Cleveland Clinic website. Uh, and according to that website, when you manage or regulate your emotions, you can steer and direct how you feel and react. Most people learn how to do this as children and develop it as they get older. It's also a key part of being adaptable or resilient to challenges, learning, and more. And this was uh, kind of an interesting example comes up here. You can think about your emotional regulation like volume control for your feelings. When you use the volume control for a device, you can keep it from being too loud. With emotional dysregulation, your brain can't regulate emotion signals. In effect, your volume control doesn't work like it should, making your emotions louder and harder for you to manage. An example of learned emotional regulation is how children eventually outgrow temper tantrums. During childhood, tantrums are normal and an expected part of your child's development. As children get older, they generally learn how to manage their emotions. That's why tantrums become less frequent and eventually stop. And I never really thought about that um, and how the development of the brain, and again, we're going back into our amygdala and our cerebral cortexes that we've, we've talk, spoken about before, but we're talking about how those as we age, as those develop our tantrums and our ability to turn down the volume and control our volume happen more frequently. But when we're in this constant state of emotional dysregulation, our volume button is there, but it doesn't work properly. And we're unable to turn down and control the noise. I think that be, that was a, uh, that kind of struck me as very interesting. I, I really enjoyed that analogy. Treatment for emotional dysregulation, uh, like all behavioral health issues, includes therapy and social work, and perhaps most importantly, a recognition of triggers and how to train your brain to regulate your mood so as not to overreact. Of course, that's that's easier said than done, but uh, like I had expressed to you during episode 34, I was in a really funky state there for a while, and having spoken to my friend Susie about how I was feeling and then doing the podcast really helped me to just basically, like I had said and quoted Thin Lizzy's song, uh, if that chick don't want to know, forget her, uh, her loss, essentially. It still hurts what happened. I don't like, it's why I'm very cautious about opening up to people uh, with, with my past. And it's why the stigma of behavioral health issues and being a survivor of suicide are so poignant with me and that I don't open up to people because this is what my fear is. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to be left and betrayed and it hurts. 
An article that I found on thepowerofpositivity.com has an article written by Deborah, Deborah Taylor with seven key signs of emotional dysregulation. The first one is you feel powerless to resolve conflicts. Problem solving is not a strong suit for those who have dysregulated emotions. If a couple cannot agree on what color to paint the living room, the person who cannot regulate their emotions might experience extreme fear, incompetence, or anger. While it's certainly nothing to lose sleep over, this individual takes things to the extreme. And her analogy is that it's being like being stuck in a pool of quicksand and unable to break free. The harder you fight the situation, the further you sink into the disparity of it all. Something so small as changing the color in the living room can end up being an all-out battle. And I think that's where what we said before with identifying what the triggers are and understanding when you're in that heightened emotional state and rather than having that all out row with your significant other about what color the darn living room is going to be, you know, maybe just take a step back, go into the bathroom or the bedroom, shut the door and just be by yourself for a few minutes and just try to understand what is this trigger? What am I feeling? What is this sensation? Why am I feeling this? Why am I getting so out of control over this? Um, and that would probably help to, to reel you back in. And obviously, uh, number two here is if you have other mental health issues. Uh, she writes that many mental health concerns run together. For instance, a person with, per person with borderline personality disorder can have severe mood swings. Uh, they have problems regulating their emotions due to their illness. So this diagnosis of dysregulation may be a secondary one to the primary condition. And that's like what we just said before was trying to find out what, what the primary trigger is. And what's causing us to over, what's causing us to react? I shouldn't say causing us to overreact because that that seems condescending. Uh, but just what's causing us to react to the situation that we're in. And she also writes: in almost all instances, the person deals with high levels of anxiety and the inability to cope, making their life miserable. And and that's that's certainly how I was in the past uh, the past few days after that incident. Her third one here is you refrain from experiencing undesirable feelings. Being unable to regulate your emotions can be painful. To try to avoid this discomfort, you disconnect from your feelings. Rather than figure out what they are and control them better, you would rather avoid them. Yes. Some people can't accept what they're feeling and they sense extreme sadness over the situation. This individual may suppress their emotions to the point of feeling numb while this is not a healthy way to cope, they try anything in their power to avoid an emotional explosion. It's not only painful them to experience, but it's also challenging for those around them. So those individuals are, rather than facing the issue, are suppressing them and avoiding them, which that's going to make it 10 times worse, as, as I know I've, I've spoken about and I've experienced suppressing my emotions certainly only makes it worse because then I start to think and my head starts to spin and I start to, my emotions get dysregulated and I get out of control with the why of everything. And uh, sometimes just taking that, that step back and looking at something from the 30,000 foot level can, can certainly make a big difference. She writes here that there's also a genetic component. Uh, does anyone else in your family have a challenging time regulating their emotions? If you have a parent or grandparent 
with this issue, there's a strong indication that genetics could be involved. Uh, it's possible you were born this way, though biology doesn't have the power to dictate your future. It's a greater challenge to overcome family ties as they tend to run the deepest. However, through therapy and learned coping skills, it can be done. I would, it might be hard to pinpoint if someone else in your family has, has emotional dysregulation. It's, I guess you could look back at the times that things got out of hand in your family and you could certainly say yes, but I I don't know if there's any benefit in finger pointing um, rather than pointing the finger of blame you know, maybe look at those three fingers that are pointing back at you and, and work on yourself. I don't, I don't think laying the, the blame game is going to help. If it is, if it is indeed in your genetics, it's going to be hard to change. I'm just not, not a hundred percent sure about that. Her fifth reason is emotional neglect. Uh, people who experience emotional neglect as a child may be more likely to suffer from dysregulation than others. Kids learn how to manage their feelings and learn coping skills early on, but the nurturing you receive can take you the nurturing you receive can take over your nature. Your parents are the people who teach you how to problem solve and they instruct their kids how to deal with anger and stress. A child who isn't taught such skills at a young age can struggle with all of this all of their life and have you ever seen a parent hand a child a cookie or ice cream and get them to calm down? These are negative self-soothing behaviors that can come with severe consequences, which is that's true. If you learn during childhood to turn to sweets when you feel emotional, then you can have a weight issue spiraling uncontrollably. Sadly, this type of nurturing can go unnoticed in even the most loving homes, and it can stem back to the child's, the parent's childhood. They copy their parenting skills from their parents, so history has a way of repeating itself until someone breaks the cycle, and that, that's very true. Number six is other disorders may fuel emotional dysregulation. Dysregulation isn't a separate disorder. Instead, it's typically the secondary diagnosis of common issues like anxiety or PTSD. It's not common for someone to have emotional dysregulation without another driving condition, as it's almost always fueled by stress-related illnesses or other severe mental health disturbances. It's usually the case that the person suffers from many mental health disorders and the emotional issues are the ones that take center stage as the most noticeable. The sad part is that treating the emotional aspects won't fix illnesses like bipolar or PTSD, but it can help to reduce some of the symptoms you experience. Targeted treatment plans can help address all mental health issues, but many find that some other symptoms dissipate once they get the dysregulation under control. And I, I think I've experienced that and just talked about that for the past week or so. Once I verbalized what was going on to myself and to my friend Susie and then to the podcast, I did feel better. And I did, I was laying in bed last night thinking about it, that I have... I felt that way after I would have a therapy session with Dana when something was bothering me and I wasn't sure how to verbalize it uh, an hour with her and her getting me to talk about it. I always felt better after, after that talk of, of finding a way to verbalize what I was feeling and, and put, put those thoughts and emotions into words that helped me. And her seventh uh, step here is self-destructive actions. 
If you have a challenging time regulating your emotions, you probably participate in self-defeating endeavors to feel better. Sadly, these behaviors will sabotage any relationships in your life. For instance, if you and your partner argue, you may go to drastic, drastic lengths to show this person how upset they've made you. The importance of learning coping mechanisms to deal with the emotional dysregulation a person experiences. If, again, we have things like journaling, exercise, meditation, talking to a counselor, knowing when to take a break are very important. I thought that those seven key signs of emotional dysregulation were pretty important to this, uh, to what I'm trying to convey here. Sometimes I, I have a, a hard time putting into words what I want to say, and then I'll find an article and I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. So I always want to make sure that I, if I do research and I find an author, I always make sure to say where I got the information and not all of the not all the websites, like especially psychology today is they just have articles up there, but they don't, they very rarely have the author's name up there, which I find interesting. That makes it hard to, uh, to cite, cite an article that you found online. If you're, if you're writing a paper, especially if you're using MPA. Uh, but this one did have, uh, Deborah Taylor's name on there. So I wanted to make sure that I, I'm not an expert in this, as a, as I say in my preamble to every show. Uh, I, I learn as I go, and I, I sometimes I feel that I do a good job, and sometimes I feel that I can definitely improve. So that's what I was thinking about today uh, was the emotional dysregulation, especially with what had happened la- over the last couple of weeks. So it certainly gives me a better understanding of, of why I am the way that I am. And I will, I will do better to, to come up with some topics and talk about some stuff. I'm going to do better for you guys, the the audience. That uh, I don't get a lot of feedback, but I do get a lot of downloads. So I know that I'm I'm reaching some people out there. So be well, be safe, and until next time, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for spending a few minutes with me today. Please rate, subscribe, and review, as your comments can only serve to improve this podcast. If you or someone you know are struggling with thoughts of suicide, please call or text the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at nine eight eight. Veterans can also call 988 and press 1 or text 838-255. You can reach me on Twitter at PTSD, on Instagram at smokin underscore PTSD, or email me at thesmokinptsdpodcast at gmail.com. And please remember, everyone you meet is struggling with something you know nothing about, so please, let's be kind to one another.